Welcome to Friday morning, the morning of the MLS Super Draft. We're here at the Peachtree Post with your MLS Super Draft preview. My name's Jason Longshore. I'm one of the managing editors at Dirty South Soccer. Uh, with me, as always, is Jarrett Smith. Jarrett, are you there? Jarrett might be there, but I am not hearing him. Uh, as always, having a little technical difficulty getting started this morning. Um, sorry about that. Uh, we are working on moving up in the world in terms of production and broadcast, but you're going to have to bear with us just a little bit. Um, I will cover for a little bit while we're talking, while we're waiting on Jarrett. Super Draft starts today, 3 o'clock. I'll be back with you with a live show covering Atlanta United's actions in the Super Draft. Will they trade out of the number two pick or even the number eight pick? Um who's looking to trade up there's lots of stuff going on in the trade windows Jarrett, are you there with me now yeah you got me yeah i got you how you doing oh beautiful i'm good how's it going going good um i was just getting into what atlanta united might do with their first picks their number two and their number eight picks in the first round uh, the rumors are all over the place this morning as to you know who might trade and that would be pretty much everybody and what teams are looking to move up. Um, what's your gut feeling as we're about five hours away from the draft? Uh, it stands right now. Um, I don't know. You know, I thought I knew and the Guzan news yesterday, and we'll get into that later. The Guzan news kind of throws everything for a loop for me um, to the point where don't know if they end up making if they changes what they're looking for in a deal. Um, it's been reported that Atlanta and Minnesota are both open to moving their picks. I guess my question is, you know, how willing are they to move, and what are they looking for? And does the news of yesterday change what Atlanta's going to look for? It's a good point, um, and it does play into it. Uh, if you guys missed it, Brad Guzan is likely, according to Sam Stejkov, MLSsoccer.com, not to be available until the summer transfer window. Um, he, th- There's a lot of back and forth about how he would be acquired and how it would affect his designated player slash targeted allocation money status. Um, essentially what it looks like it comes down to is if Atlanta had to pay a transfer fee to get him now to have him available to start the season, that would bump him up into a designated player classification and they don't want to do that. The targeted allocation money system, they can use that if his salary is above the maximum, which is about 500,000 give or take a year up to a million and it sounds like he would be high up in that if a transfer fee would bump him over the million dollar threshold and make him a designated player that opens up some different types of moves that we hadn't really considered yet you know uh, you mentioned it yesterday on our our peach pit show uh, via text that um, Colorado might be in the mix now with their trade ship of Zach McMath yeah, and I don't know if they're looking for a move. 
but I think it's worth uh, it's worth listening to. And you know Minnesota's going to listen. You know Atlanta's going to listen. Uh, the vibe I keep getting out of Minnesota is that they are planning to take Jeremy Ebelbisay, which we all expected. And that's going to happen unless somebody just gives them an offer they can't refuse. I think they'll want to put him in there, uh, build around him, but you never know what someone could, uh, somebody could offer. And I think it's Chicago's picking third. Chicago's been known to move. All three of the first picks could potentially move, and it could get really silly really quickly. Yeah, um, and that was the other thing that I was going to mention was Chicago is actually thinking about moving as well. And as we've talked about, there's three players that have really separated themselves in the top three of this draft, and that's Eba Bise, it's Abu Dunladi, and it's Miles Robinson. And all three teams at one, two, and three are interested in hearing offers to move. So this thing could be just absolute chaos between now and draft time. Yeah, and it, and it just it, – it, it fits us up very nicely that you have these three teams who are very willing to move for the right package and three players who kind of separated themselves from the pack. And it depends on what you need. Do you want a guy who uh, just feels like a really steady, solid striker? Uh, do you want a really solid center back to – young center back to build around a Miles Robinson? Do you want a high-risk, high-reward guy like Dunlady? Um There are plenty of teams that would take either of those three guys – just depends on what they're willing to give up and I guess what how do I and I guess it boils down to how do we value draft picks because uh, draft picks have a different value in every major sport uh, in the North American system so I, I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly if we're going to stick where we are but I could see people making moves just making the move quickly and then quickly snatching up one of the guys they want yeah exactly um and I think a lot of it is going to be playing off what happened. And, you know, Minnesota, the talk coming into the combine was Jeremy Ebbabise, number one. That's pretty much done and dusted. Well, that's, that talk has changed a bit. And this could just be general combine stuff where players, you know, raise their game, you know, rise up the boards. It could be Minnesota being cagey and looking to get the best deal. But, Atlanta has been fairly consistent in saying that they're open to trades. Minnesota has not up until very recently. And even into the, some of the, the chatter now is, you know, is Ebbabise the number one pick if Minnesota keeps it? Would they possibly go Abu Dhamladi? And, you know, that's the question that Minnesota has to answer is, do they know who they want at number one? And if they don't, should they move down? What do you think? I think Dunlady is the kind of guy who is really – he's a high-risk, high-reward guy. Um, from everything we've gathered, people have enjoyed watching him, and he's plenty talented. It's just a matter of can he stay on the field. If he can, then, you know, that's great. But Ebobisi feels, feels like a much more – safe, sturdy pick, even though I um, watched a little bit of him yesterday. I got I started to watch the uh, the Combine yesterday and got distracted because the schedule came out and I just struggled to do two things at once at that point. But that's neither here nor there. We'll get into the schedule a bit later in the show. Um, you know, Ibo BC scored his goal. Uh, actually missed a sitter that was kind of disappointing to see. But uh, I mean, some people I think were disappointed that he didn't play Tuesday. Um. As far as Dunlady goes, I think he's definitely an option that you take him. He's not as sturdy, but he's much more 
he could he could be that guy who just absolutely lights things up, or he could have issues on and off the field. And then, you know, it all boils down to what does Minnesota get in return in terms of an offer? I mean, do they end up getting, you know, um, a solid return? And I'm not sure exactly what Minnesota needs at this point. They've been really solid lately about putting together that team. It's not over-the-top amazing. It's it's just kind of like watching somebody put together a really solid team. Uh, as far as an expansion team goes, I think I think it'll be okay as an expansion team. Um I don't think their expectations are nearly what you're expecting for Atlanta just because Atlanta went about it differently and they've thrown not only just the star power, but the young star power and the explosiveness and playmaking capabilities. And so let's say that Minnesota won't have their time to shine coming up, but what do they really want? You know, they brought in, uh, they brought in Christian back in. So that's, that's a big ad for them which we all knew that was, we hoped that was going to happen. If it didn't happen, they were going to have a lot more problems, but I'm not sure exactly if they have a favorite at this point, And I'm not sure what the package looks like for them to trade out of the first pick. Um, you know, that's something to look at. It's something to look at as well, Jason, as we go uh, further down, looking at the draft board, uh, we can get into this a little bit more, but you know, there's a lot of guys that really made a names for themselves. Um, you know, including local guys, who uh, with Johnson really impressed a lot of people. And there've been a lot of articles in the last day uh, popping up about the idea of, you know, do we overvalue the combine? Do we undervalue the combine? Um, Or you have some guys in the past who just uh, didn't show up for the combine or, you know, had national team duties. Like our number one pick last year had national team duties and uh, are for the U20 team, I believe, and missed combine or at least part of it. And, that didn't seem to detract from him being the number one overall pick. So now we just uh, now we just see where guys fall. Um, I think it's kind of assumed that at this point Miles Robinson's going to be uh, that number two guy, number three guy off the board. If he makes it uh, to three, I think some people will really be surprised. Um, I think it was uh, Galarsip was yeah Galarsip earlier this week was doing a show or doing a Facebook event. And went on to say that he would be amazed if, uh, for lack of a better word, would be amazed if Miles Robinson is there at three. Now, I guess that either means you take it for what it is that either Atlanta is going to take him at two. I don't think Minnesota would take him at one. Or somebody's going to move up good enough to be that number two guy. There's still questions about doing Lottie. I think, uh, his, I think his, his, in his mind it was going to go uh, Jeremy Ibobise, Miles Robinson, then doing Lottie. And uh, from there, it's uh, from there we'll see how we go about it. Um, other than, in terms of other guys, you've got Jackson UL, who I've seen go anywhere from you know third or fourth, fifth, all the way down to uh, eighth. It gets really strange. Um, of course, there's Daniel Johnson. It's kind of been pushed now that you know how far can he move up the draft? Uh, guy who really did a lot to come into this combine and really kind of came out of nowhere. Is he the guy you want uh, at the eight spot? If you're Atlanta, if you feel like that's, uh, feel like that's too high, somebody lower is probably going to grab him. Uh, from what I saw, he looked very good at the combine. Um, looked really comfortable playing. I think they put him in the midfield in the game on Thursday. And there were a few questions about him in the midfield. Um, he laid off his passes pretty quickly, but, I feel like some people thought he was just a little predictable out there in the midfield and not nearly as creative as he was when he was cutting it on the wing. 
So I'll be really interested to see where that goes with him. So uh, let's see who else we got. Uh, you can still have Corey Hayes, who for a while was uh, tracked with Atlanta. And uh, let's see. Although he looks like he's dropped in a lot of people's minds about the draft coming up. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so it's still it's still a pretty impressive draft. Uh, Jonathan Lewis, I don't think will make it down to Atlanta. Somebody's going to grab him. Yeah, there's there's just a a high list of guys who have just moved up, who have done their job, and we'll know around 3 p.m. this afternoon. And uh, there we'll get an idea of who we can expect to see. But then, then again, like we said, for all we know, all three picks will be gone to different teams by the time that rolls around. Hey, Jared, I am back. Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> Technical I'm not going over all of that as again. always. I am not going no, over don't, all that please. again. Please, no, please, please do not. <laughs> I will not. Um, sorry about that, everybody. Uh, the technical gremlins are, are fighting with me this morning. Um, it's it's going to – I guess just the biggest thing for me that I've picked up in the last maybe 12 hours since the combine games ended yesterday is the sheer uncertainty about what's going to happen today. I, I don't – it doesn't seem like any of the experts are really – on the same page and you know that could lead to a crazy afternoon in terms of trades and surprising picks and guys who fall down the board that could be available later that could be valuable players for teams next year yeah that's i guess that's kind of where i'm at now looking at the latest box i mean i guess had um there's been talk about, you know, do we overvalue, do we undervalue the draft uh, or excuse me, the combine and how guys go up and down in their stock. Um, Zico Lewis is a guy who stock rose in a lot of people's minds, uh, including MLSsoccer.com. You can go there uh, and read about his rise as well. Um, you know, Corey Hayes disappointed some people as well. And like I said, how much value do you put on Johnson's rise? Is he really rising all the way to eight? Does he rise into the top 10? That's a hell of a rise, and that's a hell of a risk if you're not looking at him going, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. That's a real big risk. That one worries me just because of, you know, I mean, he was a high second-round pick coming into this thing. And to take a week of activity and go all the way up to number eight, as Matt Doyle had him going to Atlanta, um, that's huge, and he is a very specific case. You know, he's not your typical uh, college player who, you know, maybe has come out of nowhere. He was a player who nearly signed a West Ham and would have if not for technicalities. And then that that messed him up. It affected his confidence. It, it just shook him. And it took a couple years to get back to where he could be. <sighs> It's still a huge jump. Um, and then to see a guy like Ja'Cory Hayes go from, you know, number five going into the week to number 15, according to Doyle, is big. To see a guy like Brandon Aubrey go from, you know, top five, six pick down to 18 in Matt Doyle's latest. And, you know, Doyle, is, he works with MLSsoccer.com. He's very connected. He would be hearing the chatter about guys, you know, rising and falling. These are players, in my opinion, Hayes and Aubrey, who 
if you're thinking about trading down, if you're Atlanta United and you're looking at it and you're like, well, you know, we could go Miles Robinson at number two, but he's not going to play for a year or two for us for sure. We could just move down and still get a guy like Brandon Aubrey or Ja'Cory Hayes or there's others that could provide depth for us still later in this first round. It's risky, but do you want to go in that direction? I don't know. And um, like I said, and we'll get into it, but I don't know what the package looks like coming back um, in terms of how you approach this. What do you ask for in return? It's kind of it's kind of weird now because we we know what Atlanta needs. We know goalkeeper is a thing now. We I mean for all we know they'll just be like fine. We'll take a package. We might move and we might take a package of plenty of Gam and Tam. Maybe uh, maybe a, an established player or something. Again, it just depends on how we value the draft. And they might say fine. We'll go with what we've got. Uh, Alex Khan as goalkeeper right now until we get Kuzan here in a free transfer. For all we know, that's what they'll do. They might be looking for another keeper at some point. Could be. Um, catch up on a couple questions real quick on Twitter. Uh, oh, Tony Bernazard, one of our longtime listeners, was asking about how to keep up with the draft today. It will be online at MLSsoccer.com slash SuperDraft. That will be the live stream. They'll have uh, Alexi Lawless, Ziggy Schmid, Matt Doyle, uh, Russ Thaler, and Maryland head coach Sasso Shirovsky. Um I'll also be live covering it from an Atlanta United perspective. I'll be here on blogtalkradio.com slash Post, and there's already a link on that page for the, the 3 o'clock show. And I'll also be uh, simulcasting that on Facebook Live over at Dirty South Soccer. So um, that'll be a way for Atlanta fans specifically to to follow along and ask questions, and we'll, we'll uh, cover it as we go. Um, he also asked, uh, is the draft going to be similar to last year where they're in a big room and the drama is unfolding in front of us between tables? And that is a yes. They, they do the draft every year at the National Soccer Coaches Association of America convention. And this year it's in Los Angeles. So I've been, you know, in the, as a spectator before and all the teams and all the tables are down on the floor, just like you would see for the NFL draft or others. And you will see guys running back and forth with offers and you'll see people huddle off to the side and, it's, it's pretty chaotic, and I think this year, with all the things we're talking about, with all these different players that are rising and falling and teams of different needs, I think it's going to be more chaotic than usual today. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of guessing games. And you know, let's get into the, uh, the Brad Guzan situation because it does affect the draft in some ways. Brad Guzan is likely not going to be here to start the season um, due to that transfer fee situation that we discussed top of the show. What does that mean for Atlanta United and does it affect what they do in the draft? You know, we've talked about Zach McMath. You also have to consider new England has two goalkeepers that they would be willing to move in Brad Knighton and Bobby Shuttleworth. New England is a team that's picking at number 20 and has been fairly clear in talking about how much they like miles Robinson. Robinson's a new England kid. He, I believe he has said he's a New England Revolution fan. He grew up as a fan. Um, New England is a team that's going to be looking to move up, uh, and that's some speculation out of both Doyle and uh, Ivis Galarsup. Colorado is a team that's picking at 15 and 21, and they are rumored to have some interest in Dunlady. 
they have Zach McMath, who we've talked about for what seems like years at this point in being a possible goalkeeping option for Atlanta United. Would Atlanta change their their course and go get a Zach McMath or a Brad Knight or a Bobby Shuttleworth and trade a draft pick in order to solve the goalkeeping issue now that it's, it's come up? What do you think? I think they would. Um, I hope they would at this point. Uh, I look. I was fine with the, with the Guzan idea. I still am. Uh, if things change, was because for all we know, and you know, people who have followed this, they know well enough. And if you haven't, then here's the thing: uh, people play chicken. Absolutely, absolutely. Like there will play be... chicken with each other. Yes. Jared, you still there? I think I lost you. Oh, yeah, I'm here. You good? Yeah. Um, teams will. There there will be some some trades and, and chicken over uh, where these picks go. And with with Colorado and New England both looking to move up, and then with Minnesota, Atlanta, and Chicago in the top three spots, all basically putting the uh, the sign out front saying they're willing to hear offers, it's, it's going to be all over the place. Um, to get back to Guzan, my my thing about Guzan is this: I think he's a he'd be the you know top one, two, maybe third goalkeeper in the league. Uh, he's a U.S. national team goalkeeper, very very good, and he would give you a lot of confidence in the back. Could you get somebody that is not quite of that stature who could give you a similar performance? I think so, and the question comes down for the front office and for Tata Martino, do you want to go into the season with your starting goalkeeper in place, or do you want to ride it out with Alec Kahn and Alex Tambakis and wait for Guzan? I'm, uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure which way you go there. That's, that's risky. I mean, you talk about wanting to, be a playoff team in your first year. And that's not to say that Khan and Sambacus can't get you there, but that's a lot to ask. Now the schedule, and we'll get over the schedule in a bit as well, that it, it sets up for kind of a nice end run, but it gets rough at the beginning. Um, at this point, because teams play chicken with each other, we don't really know where it sits. We'll get a better idea soon, but I'm kind of on the boat now. Of it, you don't want to pay the transfer. You went over this yesterday. You don't want to pay the transfer fee because that's going to put him over the cap. You're not going to be able to buy him down over a million. Once he's over a million dollars, you can't buy him down underneath that DP level. So unless you get him on a transfer fee of less than $100,000, which man, it's not going to happen, um, I don't know what you do other than just say thanks and move on. And like you said, New England's got two keepers. There are other keepers around the league. Um, maybe Guzan's an option down the road for Atlanta, but sometimes the timing just doesn't work, which really sucks because when we thought this was a, a thing set in stone, and hindsight being twenty twenty, you don't trade Sean Johnson away if you knew this is where this is going to go. Absolutely correct, and and that was what my sources were saying when when that happened was that there was a hang up in terms of MLS and Atlanta not wanting to pay a transfer fee for Guzan. They, you know, they didn't know exactly why at that point, because they didn't have any idea on the contract terms. 
just that you didn't want to go transfer fee. So you were counting on Middlesbrough to let him go on a free. Well, right now, Middlesbrough has no reason to do that because Guzan has got back-to-back shutouts. You don't have a replacement for him yet. Could change. And this is, you know, where you have to look into the crystal ball a bit. All this can change if Middlesbrough goes out and gets a replacement for Guzan. Then they'd be a lot more willing to let him go. Then he shows up in Atlanta on a targeted allocation money contract, and you're, you're fine and dandy. Until you know that, you're, you're crossing your fingers and you're hoping. And do you want to go into training camp, which starts you know, in less than two weeks? Do you want to go into that with uncertainty at goalkeeper? My personal opinion is Alec Kahn can be your number one um, I think he's ready to be a number one goalkeeper in this league. He just doesn't have experience. And I've said it as long as this has been going on, you really don't want to put an inexperienced number one in goal in front of an expansion team because Ooh. you don't have, you don't have any leadership defined yet. So you know, maybe Michael Parker steps up and becomes the vocal leader on the back line and can marshal it and can kind of carry his fellow defenders and the goalkeeper along and, and run things well. Maybe. It's a maybe. You know, maybe it doesn't work. You've got that road trip that we talked about on the schedule. You know, you have two of your first three at home, and then you're away for four games that are going to be incredibly difficult. You know, do you want to throw a guy who's never been a number one into that situation it's it's risky you know maybe you go get you know and out of the guys that we've talked about in terms of McMath and Knighton and Shuttleworth McMath is the one who's most experienced McMath had a very very strong first half of the season in Colorado and they didn't go get Tim Howard because they were upset with Zach McMath they went to get Tim Howard because it was Tim Howard so McMath can be your guy if you go down that road. And Colorado is a team that, according to all the experts, is looking to move up uh, because they want Abu Dunlady. So you might be able to pry Zach McMath from them. And Kyle Kessler, one of our listeners, throws out a proposition of McMath and targeted allocation money for the number two. Uh, it, it's very, very possible, yeah, and that would, that would work to everybody's benefit. Would you do that? Yeah, I would do that. Um, if it comes down to it, because, you know, we, you talk about the value of goalkeepers. I mean, remember there was a time when a goalkeeper was taken number one, granted, he's one of the best goalkeepers in the league now. And that's exciting for him. Um, You, you, you mentioned it. I don't want to put a, as good as Alec Khan may be. I don't want to put an inexperienced goalkeeper on an expansion team and ask him to lead the, and take the reins and, you know, lead this thing. It's really risky. Um, especially when you're going to have Atlanta on the national stage more than any team except one this year. That's, that's a lot of risk you're taking. And I'm not really, I'm not about that life. I would make a move if I could for a Zach McMath with the number two pick and, uh, and some targeted allocation money. I, that's a move depend just, and you know, we, we won't know the numbers cause they never tell us the numbers. Um, but that's a move I would strongly consider just because yeah. of what he's done. Exactly. You want to dig into this. Um, Alec Khan is a goalkeeper who has 54 games as a professional. Um, 
started his career in 2012 with the Charleston Battery and did not play. Uh, played with Chicago's reserves um, while he was with the Fire. Didn't see action with Chicago. Saw one game with Chicago in 2015. Uh, the season he's played the most was in the USL in 2015 with St. Louis. He played 19 games. I played 17 with the Charlotte Eagles in 2014. Last year, he played six with Sporting Kansas City. Um, over the summer period where they were uh, struggling for goalkeepers, um, had some injuries, he performed well. I mean, I remember uh, one of the games was a nationally televised one, and he performed well. That being said, um, this is a tough spot to put him in. It's not the same conversation that we were having before where it was, do you throw Alex Tambakis as your number one going into an expansion draft or into an expansion season? Because Tambakis has extremely limited first-team experience. Khan has more first-team experience, both at USL and in MLS. Yeah, and if they throw Khan in there, he'll have my full support, and I hope he does great. Um, it wouldn't be my first decision, I guess, is where I sit. I would not agree to throw him right in there right away. But if they do, I hope he does great. And I think he would. It just He'd have to grow into the role. And, you know, we'll get into the schedule. Like I said, it's not very forgiving at early parts of the season where he's going to be having to grow into the role if you do that. The other question this raises for me is if they were waiting on Guzan, I worry about what they may have missed in or what they might miss in terms of allocation order. Yeah, that's a good point because we talked about Juninho at that point um, of you missed out on the chance to get Juninho and to wait for Guzan. And now you're kind of in limbo about uh, are you going to get Brad Guzan and when are you going to get him? It's, it's tough. Um, there will be other players who will come available in allocation that would you rather wait and see, or would you rather trade that number one spot in allocation? You know, there would be teams who I think would be a lot more willing to wait on Brad Guzan. Do you want to do that as an expansion team? I, I really don't um, at this point. Just, be, just where we're at right now, I'd rather move. Rather move on. Um, although I would scratch my head until, you know, there's a, you know, a bald spot. If you tell me that Atlanta United ends, has, two for, has two number one overall picks, one in the expansion draft, one in the allocation, and ends up trading both of them, uh, Basically, that would be really strange, and that's basically where we're at as we're talking about that. And, um, and I don't know. We'll see. It, it, it could always change. It could change tomorrow and come out that Middlesbrough has somebody lined up, and they're happy to let him go on a free transfer, and he's here, and everyone's hunky-dory. And that's where it gets tough is, can you wait? That's, I guess that's the biggest thing at this point is can you truly afford to wait because you might miss this chance? I, that's the thing. If someone comes along with an offer like a McMath or, you know, something close to that, can you wait? I don't know that you can. If someone gives you a solid offer for an MLS ready goalkeeper who can step in right away and do the job, I don't know that you can wait, especially if you do solidify. You know, we've talked about them bringing in Miles Robinson with that number two pick if they keep it. They might bring in more defenders that are top flight. 
where they don't feel the need to draft a defender at the number two spot, where they can feel comfortable moving it for something else. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Jarrett, can you hear me still? Yeah, I got your watch cloud and clear. Uh, okay, cool. Um, having, again, technical problems over here, trying to make sure we're good. Um, it's going to be very tricky to see what happens. Uh, Colorado seems to be the one that makes the most sense. You know, you have New England, who is interested in Robinson. You have D.C. United, who Ivis Galarsev said is interested in Jonathan Lewis, who was a late-generation Adidas signing. Um, you have Seattle and New York who are looking at moving up for Chris Odoi Atsum, the best right back in the draft. They're, uh, Seattle sitting at 16 and 22. Um, there's talk about Columbus looking to move up. There's going to be a lot of potential trade partners if Atlanta United is willing to listen. Um, if you had to call it right now, at this point, you know, not knowing what all these offers are, would you – Trade the pick, or would you draft? And if you draft, who would you take? Um, it's it's so it's so temperamental based on what the offer is. Um, unless I'm blown away, I would probably take Miles Robinson, and I would be very comfortable making that decision. Um, I'd be much more willing to move that eight pick. I think, depending on how the table shakes out between three and seven, between who goes where and who does what. And who moves and who doesn't, I'd be much more willing to dance around and listen harder for that eight pick. And not not begging to move it, but I'd be more willing probably to move it at that point. But without knowing what's going to come along, uh, I think I would – I think I, right now I'd just take Miles Robinson. I would lean that way too, but – you start digging into this and you, you look at, at Colorado and if you feel like you can get Zach McMath and you can move on from Guzan, you know, I think a lot of people were happy with Zach McMath as a potential number one goalkeeper here in Atlanta from day one. So if you can get him and you can get Colorado's number 15 pick, so then you're picking eight and 15, it's not too bad because then you start to look back at the guy's, whose stock is falling down. Um, yeah, can we talk about Shome for a minute? Because apparently Shome doesn't exist anymore in the top, like, 20. Shome went from being a number eight pick to being invisible. And, yeah. you know, at 15, okay, let's, let's say you pull the trigger and you can make it work with Colorado. You get Zach McMath and you get their 15 pick. So you're Which picking right now is Corey Hayes. To Corey Hayes right now. You're picking eight and 15. You could end up with... Some mix, and this is depending on who else goes around, but you could end up with a center back or you could end up with Daniel Johnson. Let's say Daniel Johnson since he's the darling right now. So you can get Daniel Johnson with one of those and you can get a center back with the other. Not bad. And Zach no. McMath, not bad. No, that's, and that's the thing. I mean, um, yeah, look at, I'm looking at Doyle's. He actually has, uh, he has Aubrey going 18th. So like, that's I don't know that Aubrey will last that long, but if he's there, you yeah you grab him. You've got a center back, and uh, you grab another winger or a midfielder and a goalkeeper. That's that's you put those numbers in your calculator. You're happy. Yeah, and this is a, a club that has shown no fear 
of of wheeling and dealing. So if they can make these moves and and pick up an extra piece and get your starting goalkeeper and keep the number one allocation spot that you can use for something else. Yeah. It's it's pretty amazing that this is the direction that could happen today. Um, you know, let's talk about some of the guys who have fallen down the draft order that that you know we had we've mentioned you know at different times. Um, you know, it's pretty consistent. The top three: Ebabise, Dunlady, Robinson. So Corey Hayes has fallen down, and it really seems to be because nobody knows where to play him at the next level. And this is the same thing that Darlington Nagby had when he came into the league. You know, is he a six? Is he an eight? Is he a winger? Is he a 10? What is he? And nobody seems to know. And they moved him around at the combine. And I think that really hurt him. You know, he's the first game at the combine. He played as a defensive midfielder. That's not a place he's played very often. And that's not a place that you throw a guy in with no experience and say, figure it out. That's with teammates. He doesn't know on top of it. You know, that's, that's tough. Um, I've, I've been high on Ja'Cory Hayes all along. I think his, his characteristics fit what Tata Martino would want in a speedy, quick, technical midfielder. He could be that number eight. And you look at Darlington Nagby, he could be that number eight that is dynamic in the middle of the field. And if he's seriously being talked about falling down to 15, then I feel a lot better about trading down. Yeah. Um, another guy who dro- really kind of dropped, who I didn't expect to drop, was uh, Reagan Dunk. Uh, I watched a little bit of him, and I mean, it, there was nothing flashy, nothing over the top. It just looked like a right back. Uh, he did some overlaps, and he just uh, his one on ones were just yeah, it was it was it was okay. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't what you expect from the guy you expect to be the first right back off the board. I yeah, true. I did the uh, the last word on soccer show, their Super Draft preview this week, and uh, Matt, who I was on with, is based out in Colorado, and he's had a chance to see Reagan dunk quite a bit at the University of Denver, and he compared him to Keegan Rosenberry. Um, if you can get a Keegan Rosenberry oh, type of right back at number 20, which is where Chop Door Soccer had him, by all means, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, a couple other guys who have moved up and down with Shemit Shom, who you mentioned, you know, this is a guy who has over 20 games of pro experience in the NASL with FC Edmonton last year. This is not your typical, you know, player in the college draft. He is another one who they don't really know position wise where he fits. Uh, I think Matt Doyle has said he right now, he's probably an eight who likely would end up being a six, a defensive midfielder. You know, those types of players with that much experience who can contribute straight away, there's not many of them in this draft, and he's a generation Adidas player. So and, he's if, can, and he's Canadian, and he counts as a domestic player. He doesn't yes. burn an international slot. And that's critical. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something I wanted to say in terms of the, the Guzan possibilities as well. You know, when you look at replacing Brad Guzan to start the season, you have to keep in mind – about the international slots and you can't go get an international goalkeeper to fill that role. Even in a short-term situation, you're looking in the draft for guys who do not take up an international slot. So there's players who 
are very good in this draft that you wouldn't mind seeing. Um, one that, that I really like is Francis DeVries, um, small college guy, but he's a center back with a great left foot, can hit a good long ball, can pass well. He'd be a great fit in Atlanta, but he's an international. So you're not going to, you're not going to take an international slot on a college player that could be a project. Shome is a generation Adidas player who does not take up an international slot who would be off of your salary cap. That's big. It's, it almost makes it worth it, even though, you know, nobody really seems to know where he's going to go. You know, at number eight, because of him being Generation Adidas, that's not crazy. If he, the thing with him is, if he does drop down the board, uh, Shom, Shom could end up being another roll down. Guy who drops down the board at the combine, drops to, you know, a team that is already established, slides into it, slides in with a team, gets comfortable, and makes the top 10 teams in the draft really rue the day they didn't take him. It's a really good point. And it's actually a very similar type of player. Uh, Christian Roldan fell to, I believe, 16, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Seattle was um, all too happy to take him. Yeah, he fell all the way down there. And it, I, I think that was one of the drafts that I was actually there. And everybody in the audience was like, what is going on? Why is he still available? And every pick, it was like, what's up? Why is Roldan not being picked? Shome's a little different in the sense that he's just not as well known, but I think 26 games with FC Edmonton in the NASL last year and performed well. And, you know, this is not just a guy who made up the numbers. He performed well. Edmonton was a very good team last year. Yeah. He, he's very valuable. And I think that generation Adidas tag makes him even more valuable than some other players who are, are ranked higher than him on the, the mock drafts. So I guess that kind of boils down to, okay, let's, let's keep burying this hypothetical down the rabbit hole as far as it'll go. Let's go. Um, okay, let's say you trade out of the two. Let's okay. say you take Colorado spot. Okay, 15. Uh, if he's there, would you take Shom? At 8 or 15? At 15. At 15, absolutely. Like, I would be, after number 14 picked in front of me, I would be standing next to Don Garber with my sheet. <laughs> A paper saying show me show him, number 15 yes just literally standing right behind him i would just be like yep i'm here <laughs> and if if number 14 took show me show him, you would see me crumple up a sheet of paper and walk back to the table just all dejected in the rain oh i'd yep. pay money for that um, i would be i would seriously consider him an eight and coming into the combine a lot of people had him around there yeah. This is it goes to a question that uh, Tony Bernazard is asking on Twitter about, do you think too much stock is put into the combine? Uh, do you feel Tata would trust bulk of work rather than a one-off? The combine always does this, where you see a player like Daniel Johnson jump 20 spots, where you see a player like Ja'Cory Hayes drop 10 to 15 spots, Reagan Dunk drop 10 spots. Brandon Aubrey dropped 10 spots. You see this stuff happen in the combine. And I think it's a crazy way to do business because you have to look at the whole body of work and Johnson's unique and talked about that earlier. Johnson's kind of a unique situation, but a player like Brandon Aubrey, who everybody loved coming into this, you know, he's a good size, good on set pieces, he played some in midfield, so you know he can play and work in a possession game. He had a shaky combine, and he falls 10 spots. 
And then you see a player, I'm trying to think of somebody else who moved up a good bit here this week. Um, Daniel Johnson? Well, somebody other than that, because he's such a unique situation. Uh, uh, Zico Lewis had a good week. Yeah. So did Joseph and he, Holland. Holland is a good one. Holland is one who wasn't highly rated coming in, who's, who's moved up. Lewis was kind of highly rated. He moved up to nine. Lalas Abubakar is another one. So Abubakar, you read the descriptions of his game, and he's a big, he's 6'2", he's athletic, but he's not technical. He's not going to fit in a possession game. And you, you hear the, the negatives of his game and these descriptions about where he's going to go, but then they have him going six. And they have Brandon Aubrey, who is technical and has the size and can play out of the back, and they have him going 18. Yeah. You know, that's the thing to me is I, I think the college game is very hard to scout in general. I think there's not a lot of people in this country who can look at the college game and the way it's played and playing sometimes two and three games in a week and the substitution rules and all that. I think there's a a lot of people who have a problem looking at that game and seeing a player who projects and translates to the MLS level. I'm hoping that Paul McDonough is kind of the wild card here with Atlanta United as a person who came from the college game. He worked with the university of Connecticut. He was in their coaching staff and then went into the MLS side. They also have people in their academy who come from the college game. Chris Birch, who was the associate head coach at Louisville, I think will be very important. One, he's going to know Daniel Johnson as much as Tony Annan does, who uh, Tony Annan worked with him at youth level. That's another one. You've got some different elements in the Atlanta United front office that I hope gives them a leg up on certain players and just being able to see a guy in college and not falling for the combine hype and not falling for, you know, the limited scouting hype and looking more at, is this guy somebody who can play for me in my system that Tata Martino is going to want to do and can translate as a professional because not every college player does, not every good college player does. That's true. Um, it's it's about how guys fit, and that's it's gonna be interesting to see how guys fit or how they don't fit. And we won't really know until you know they get out playing, and we get out and see them not in a combine over three days of pickup games of people they have no chemistry with, but when they get out on the practice field and they get games under their belt, and we see how they mesh with their teammates and they actually develop chemistry it's kind of a crapshoot in that regard because these guys aren't here for no reason. All of them are immensely talented. It's just a matter of putting it all together. And it's a challenge. Um, That's going to be a hard thing for Tata Martino because he's going to have players coming in at 20, 21, 22 years old with zero professional experience. And I cannot overstate how important it is to understand that jump from the college game to the professional game. I can think of so many players who struggled with the jump from the college game to the NPSL level with the Silverbacks reserves when I was there. Players who ended up becoming very good professionals when they were in college, the mentality is completely different. And you're going to see these guys get thrown in straight away, going from a college draft today to showing up at the IMG Academy in Bradenton on the 23rd and being expected to be a professional soccer player. 
and they've never had that expectation before. The college game does not treat you as a professional. The youth game does not treat you as a professional, except for the ones who've come out of pro academies who are, you know, are treated right. It's, it's a challenge for the best of players, let alone a player who is, you know, questionable on, on quality. I think, go ahead, go ahead. It's, it's, and it, it makes me nervous, the idea that if you start trading out, because um, eventually you're going to have to bring in kids. And I, I don't have an issue. I don't think there will be an issue with Atlanta, with Tata, about bringing in young guys, because you're going to bring in guys up through the academy. So guys without really professional experience won't be an issue down the road. I realize it's a different kind of experience from college to academy, where you're working with the same coaches and seeing the same people every day. But you know, eventually they are going to have to start taking guys out of the draft if they don't do it this year. Let's say they trade out and start taking, you know, active players for their draft picks, and we see maybe one pick, maybe two. Uh, well, they only have two right now as it is. Let's say they only take one player in the draft. Um, next year they would have to, I think you've got to start infusing that college talent into the, into the roster. Yeah. Um, I think you need to figure this thing out. Uh, you know, I, I look at what could be available and let's say you trade down. We talked about a couple guys who have fallen down the list, like a Hayes and Aubrey um, in those middle first round picks. I think some guys who could be a fit here in Atlanta, Colton storm is one um, right back. He's uh, most people think Adoy Atsum is the better option, but Storm really improved his stock a bit at the combine. Uh, Pacey, good one v one defender. He's played as a center back in a three man back line, so he has a little flexibility there, and he can play as a right back. He's in the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen type of range. I love how trendy um, the three man back line is now. By the way, like worldwide. Yeah. In the college game, it's becoming a big thing. Um, like and you see, now, yeah, it's like everybody's doing it. Yeah, I know the college game was kind of ahead of the curve, but college game kind of hipstered it back in. <laughs> the college game hipstered it back in. That's the, that's the line of the day. Um, <laughs> it's I, I like I like the three man back line, especially if you have the right outside wing backs to make it work, where it can go from three five two to five three two very easily. I, I like that setup a lot. Um, it's not something that's been in Tata Martino's wheelhouse, but he's also a very smart tactician. So if it comes into like play, we, then I'm cool with it. I feel like we got a really good view of what it can, what it can do well and what it can do really wrong during that Toronto Montreal Eastern conference championship, both legs. There were times with the three, five, two, like this looks great. This looks really solid. Other times where it just looked like a tire fire. I feel like we got a really good view there of when the wings were doing their job how it's supposed to look and how it's not supposed to look. Yeah. You can see the weaknesses and, and it's, it puts a ton of pressure on the wings. And, you know, we, we've talked about in Tata Martinez system, the number six, the defensive midfielder is so critical in that three, five, two, five, three, two, the, the wing backs are, are critical to making it work. Um, Miles Robinson's another who's played in a three man back line a good bit at Syracuse. The other generation Adidas player out of, Canada, um, Adonis Reed. he's a forward, which is not a position Atlanta United's necessarily looking for, um, but you might be able to get him late as a generation Adidas player, which changes your, your thinking a bit. He's a young, dynamic forward, and he's played in, 
it's kind of the equivalent of Canada's NPSL, PDL type of level. And he scored a slew of goals there as a kid playing with, with adults. Something to keep in mind, um, he's another one that nobody really seems to know where to rate. Uh, another one, if you trade down, that you might want to look at, you mentioned Joseph Holland. Uh, another right back is Jacob Nerwinski. Um, he's uh, projected at 16 by Doyle, and he's another attacking right back. Uh, depth at the outside back is something Atlanta United still needs. And if they can pick up a guy who can get forward like a Nerwinski, like a Storm, um, potentially like a Reagan Dunk, if they can get them by trading down and adding other assets, it's a, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, let's, let's also, we haven't really mentioned it, but the number eight pick could also be traded down. Top drawer soccer mentioned that, you know, they wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta traded out of the eight. Everybody oh, that's else. That's the one was, I'd be, I'd be, I'd, I'd, I don't want to say I'd be shocked if they took that pick, but I think I'm kind of, I'm leaning more to emotionally preparing myself for them to move that pick. See, to me, the eight's the wild card because the number two, there's, there's obviously value and there's obviously teams who are chasing it. Um, but there's also teams chasing the one and the three. So who knows what happens with two. Uh, the eight, a lot of it depends on what happens in the, the first seven picks. If there's a player sitting at eight, and this is, this is kind of how the MLS draft goes. If there's a player sitting at eight that a team, you know, has coveted, they'll trade up for it and you yep. might get some allocation money and you might get another pick in the first round by moving down at eight. I don't know if you'll get a player. I think you'd probably get some allocation money, maybe an international slot. That's something to keep in mind here as, as a need for Atlanta United. Uh, maybe you trade one of these and pick up an international slot, but I mentioned earlier that you've got, you know, Chris Adoy Atsum, who is projected to be going anywhere from five to 10, depending on who you talk to. Seattle and New York are both looking for right back help. And if he's still available at eight, those are two potential trading partners who could be looking to move up. Yeah, that's, I don't know really what you would expect out of an eight pick. I'd be fine. Um, all right. You feel about this, Jason? I'd be fine giving that eight up for, some money and someone else's lower pick just depending on who it is where it is and like you said a lot of it just depends on how that board shakes out between three and seven where it's going to be really weird between three and seven how that shakes out we're not really you know we think we know that's why we do mock drafts we think we know we think we have an idea someone could do something really weird somebody could just sit down at the table put all their chips out there and say, I would like the number three spot, please. And throw the entire thing into chaos. And then people start trading four or five. Um, it all changes really quickly between three and seven. And I think they'll reassess everything when you get to that eight. Exactly. Because you have these three players with Ebobise, Robinson, Dan Lottie, who a lot of teams see as as foundational type of players, as blue chip type of draft choices. Um, Ebobise seems to be the most complete, but it's not a universal lock. He goes number one. Robinson seems to be the safest pick in terms of developing into a quality pro. Um, but there's some questions about him. His combine was solid, not outstanding. 
And Dunlady seems to be the absolute hit or miss. Uh, Siggy Schmidt wrote an article on MLSsoccer.com, and I highly recommend it. He compared Dunlady to the, the classic all-or-nothing type of pick. He's either going to be the number one pick that turns out to be like Kyle Lahren, or he's going to be the number one pick that turns out to be like Danny Mwanga. Who, and some people will be saying, who is Danny Mwanga? Exactly. Exactly. That's the whole thing here. He's not going to be just a solid pro. Miles Robinson, even if he doesn't turn into what some people are projecting as a national team level center back, he'll be a center back that will play MLS and professional soccer for a number of years and be a very good professional, no matter what, um, you know, unless injury, unless something completely unforeseen. Ebabise has all the tools to be a very good professional, even if his ceiling is not where some people think it is in terms of being a national team striker, if it's just being a very good MLS forward. Okay. Dunlady is the one that could be amazing or nothing because that's been his career so far. Uh, the injury history is a big part of that and the whispers of mentality um, and issues with that. We're just going to have to see what happens with those three because, you know, my gut feeling sitting here right now and haven't seen any additional updates on, uh, on rumors this morning. It is uh, almost 8 o'clock on the West Coast. So after all the general managers and coaches were at the hotel bar talking about trades, now they're waking up with things scratched on a napkin wondering, all right, are we going to do this or not? I uh, haven't seen anything yet, but I think Minnesota picks first. I don't think they trade it. I think they take Ebabise. I think Atlanta, if I had to put money on it right now, I think Atlanta trades the number two. Um, I really do, because I think there's going to be just too good of an offer. Yeah. Now, who they trade it to, I, I can't predict, but Colorado but seems to make the most sense. Someone is going to move up, try and move up. I don't know if they do. Maybe Atlanta keeps it. Like I said, I still lean towards keeping it. Um but someone is going to want to make a really questionable decision and give up a lot for a guy like Dunlady, who, like I said when uh, earlier in the show, Dunlady, if he can stay on the field, is fine. You hope he turns into a freak of nature because he has all the skills to do so. Is his head in the right place, and can he stay on the field? It's such a risk. Someone is going to I – don't, I, I don't want to say they're going to – you know, redirect their franchise with him, but someone could make that kind of move that uh, either kickstarts things or, you know, blows a tire out on their franchise for a year. That's a good way to put it. Um, I, if I'm, if I'm putting money on it today and we can talk about it later at three o'clock, I think Minnesota uses their number one. I think Atlanta trades out of the number two. And I think Chicago trades out of the number three. Um, who moves up? I'm not sure. Uh, Kyle Kessler mentions with New England high on Miles Robinson, could they be a willing partner at that number two? And could Cody Cropper be who Atlanta goes after? Um, Cropper would be a different type of young goalkeeper. He does have international experience. He has youth national team experience. He has limited experience as the number one. Um, do you want to turn over the reins to him and, it's much like we talked about this season going into the Hawks year with turning over the reins to Dennis Schroeder, where you know he's going to make mistakes, but you know he's going to have some wonderful moments too. Do you want that in a goalkeeper? Um, 
different different conversation and a different topic all around i would i would be a little more concerned about that i think mcmath would make me feel a little a little steadier in goal if you go and make the deal to get him um cropper some people aren't as high on him but after uh You've seen him at the youth level. I think he is a very good MLS keeper, but I don't know if he's a very good MLS keeper now. Yeah, it's, I think that's kind of the question it's at right now. And, and allegedly, Colorado's so interested in Dunlady, it, it it almost makes sense to try and pry McMath from their hands to let them move up and have Dunlady, and then use that eight pick for whatever you want, maybe trade down, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, for all we know, I don't know, we've really talked about this, they may try and sneak back into the first round with another pick. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they may try and buy their way into a third first round pick. We haven't really talked about that. Anything, anything can happen. And, and that's where you start looking at some of these players who have jumped up. And remember, Atlanta doesn't have a second round pick. They traded that to Colorado uh, yeah. to get that international slot. So could they try to move up to get one of these players that is falling down the, the boards, especially in my book, Shome or Reed as two generation Adidas players who could be available late. That, that bonus of them not being on your books for at least a year, probably in these cases two maybe three years of being in the generation Adidas program that's a nice benefit for a team that is going to stretch the salary cap. Yeah. And you know, you talk about, you know, a guy like Sean being on the, uh, being on the generation Adidas deal, where he's not going to take an international. It, it then becomes a question, for instance, uh, how long is Kenwin Jones going to be on the books for Atlanta taking up an international slot? Like that's, that's a valid question. Um, when you look at his, his recent form, is, is he a player that you might think of if the right offer comes available for him? Uh, and we've heard nothing. I, I've heard nothing about oh, no, no, we're know, just Jones being shopped or, or teams coming after him. There was a lot of talk before he signed with Atlanta that Vancouver was interested. Um, I would imagine that there are teams in the league who would be interested, but you know, you have to keep in mind that he was signed before Tata Martino came into the picture. Uh, there could have been negotiations around that time if you if you go back and follow the timeline, but he was not a Tata Martino signing as far as we know. He could be a player that Martino feels like isn't the, the greatest fit. And, you know, as, as Tony Bernazard mentioned uh, on Twitter, saying is there a possibility of a current player who could get shipped out as part of a trade deal he's one you could think about and there's others you have the glut of central midfielders that you could possibly make some moves with other than that there's not really a lot of other you know pieces that I could see being shipped on um it's 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 a tough one. Uh, I don't think there's a player in the super draft that I would want to go after and then consider moving Jones, and that's including Ebabise and Dunlady. Yeah. I would not take that risk. But if things happen in different ways, could he be a player that you might want to keep an eye on? Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody is. I think Atlanta United has shown that they're not going to be maybe the old school MLS team who just sticks with what they have and 
and just goes with it. They're going to have no problem making moves. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, we'll see how this all shakes out. Uh, as Jason said, draft kicks up this afternoon, 3 o'clock Eastern time, 12 p.m. Pacific. Jason will be doing uh, just all of the technology that he can at the time. As long as it all works this time, yes. Yeah. Uh, he'll be doing all the technology. Unfortunately, I cannot join him because of my day job. But, uh, you know, if uh, we know that, if I'm not mistaken, Terminus Legion is going to be at Fado. Yes. Uh, Fado, uh, Buckhead, they will have a viewing party there. Uh, I'm not sure about the other supporters groups. If you are a part of one of the other supporters groups, please feel free to let us know uh, where you will be. We'll be glad to give a shout-out on Twitter uh, to anyone who wants to join you all if you all are doing viewing parties as well. Uh, so just keep tuned for 3 p.m. And all of this is going to get really weird and stupid. Uh, Jason, I didn't know if you wanted to, as time's kind of winding on us here, we're, as we're going into ex- we're going into the full 90 today, um, the schedule is out. We know what to look for. Yeah. Um, this distracted couple, me horribly from the combine yesterday. A couple things here uh, before we jump completely off the super draft, because I think everybody's oh, waking up ahead. on the West Coast now. Um, Matt Doyle uh, just followed up on Brian Sharetta, who is an expert on the American soccer game. He writes at American Soccer Now. Uh, he's been on Talk Sport and Sirius XM quite a bit. Brian Sharetta is predicting Jeremy Ababise goes number one, Robinson two, Dunlady three. Yeah. Matt Doyle chimed in and said, uh, same, but I think we're wrong. Hearing a ton of buzz about Dunlady at number one because his upside is so high. Yeah, and I mean, that seemed to be building. Like I said, he's such a he's such a risk reward player because if he pays off, oh my God, that's a weapon to build around. And not to mention, you already have um, Minnesota just re-signed their striker that they love so much. Uh, the, I think he still is the number one scorer in uh, in the United States over the last two years. Yes, uh, at the second division level, but yes. Yeah. Well, that's neither here nor there. We're not going for details. We're just going for stats. Um, man, that would be an interesting move. We'll see yeah. what happens. If things are all Lottie, I think there's going to be a mad scramble for Ibobise. There will be, and that will increase the value of the number two pick for Atlanta to either take it or, or ship it. Um, okay, we're going to let everybody on the West Coast wake up because I'm sure there's going to be more before we're done. But let's let's talk schedule. What, what jumped out to you about the schedule that was released yesterday? Uh, two things, and we'll get into them. Uh, the two things that popped into my head were first off, that's a hell of a road trip you get to play with at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, we talk about, we've talked before about the size of the United States, about how it makes the game different from other countries around the world because of the travel involved and how people adjust to that. Well, Atlanta United gets a fun little road trip. And when I say, uh, fun little road trip, I mean, they have to travel like cross country three times at the beginning of the year. That's going to be a lot of wear and tear on that team. And we're going to see how guys adjust. Uh, the other thing I noticed, Jason, is, oh my God, they're going to be on national television 15 times. The only team with more, I think, is L.A. at 16. That immediately jumped out to me, and I think that says a ton about what the league and what the internal expectations are of Atlanta United in terms of being a product on the field, but also being a story off of it. 
it's big, and it's not just the Mercedes-Benz games either, although, you know, another piece of that is that the Mercedes-Benz opener on July 30th against Orlando will be on Broadcast Fox, which is a big deal. Um, that'll be a very cool way to open the Benz with who, you know, we're all expecting to be Atlanta United's top rival and a team that you're going to play the week before in Orlando. So those yeah. back-to-backs always make the, the second game a little a little spicy, a little, a little extra edge to it. So that's going to be a fun game for Fox to telecast on July 30th. Uh, the other one that jumped out looking at it is the five games in September at home and six of the last eight at home. When we start talking playoffs and all the craziness about an expansion team qualifying for the playoffs, that's six how it of happens. your last eight at home is a big deal. That's exactly how it happens. Like that's how a team is pulls a Seattle and goes from, you know, six, seven points out to on the last on, you know, decision day, they're, you know, they're winning in basically. That's how it happens. You play six of eight at home to end the season. Yeah. That's, that's how you make up ground and having that in the hopper is, is a nice bonus for Atlanta United to go into year one as a team that, is not afraid of saying they want to make the playoffs year one. They're not trying to lower the expectations of the fans. They're saying they want to be competitive year one. I still say that competitive is the goal here, not playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs year one, that's not a disappointing first season in my opinion. It's They just need to be competitive and be in the hunt. When you go into those games, those games in September, they need to mean something because then that's going to feed on itself. If because you got two Wednesday games in there too, let's not forget. If Atlanta's in the playoff race, those Wednesday games are going to be big crowds. If Atlanta has fallen out of the playoff race and is struggling, those games won't be as well attended. You know, you, we can say if that's right or wrong, but that's a fact. That's that's how sports works, and that's most places around the country. It's not just an Atlanta thing. By the way, this falls in perfectly in line with my bold prediction. Um, I guess you can, you know, can't really call it bold at this point. My prediction that Atlanta misses the playoffs, but they end the year as that team that nobody wants to play, and everyone is really thankful that they missed the playoffs. Um, playing six of eight at home can create that mentality and can create that feeling around the league that even if they just miss the playoffs, uh, they could end the season as that team that finds their stride at home and just starts wrecking shop and everyone's really glad they don't have to deal with them in a one-off or a, or a tie. Yes. Um, those, those home games late, I think is just, it's, it's so important as to uh, how Atlanta United could, could look at the end of the year. Um, we've got about eh, a little less than, than 20 minutes left. Let's let's catch up on a few other things in the Atlanta United sphere lately. Uh, Martin DiMichelis, who was all but signed to Atlanta United before uh, Doug Roberson wrote with the AJC that Atlanta United hasn't spoken to him, there's still things popping up with that. Um, there's still Spanish-language reports coming out that he's coming to MLS and he's coming to Atlanta. Uh Doug just tweeted about three minutes ago that it's not happening with Atlanta. Um, I'm going to assume that Doug has more connections with Atlanta United than international media. So I'm going to, I'm going to back Doug on this one. We always thought that it didn't make much sense. So, you know, I think 
some fans were happy to hear that DiMichelis is, is not in the mix with Atlanta. I, I'm okay with that. I mean, I know you wanted to bring in a veteran. I'm, I'm okay though if he does if if you don't bring him in, like. He's not the veteran you need, I think. Um, yeah, I guess that's where I'm at with it. It's like that that's there are better moves to be made. Let's leave it there for me. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um as we said, the uh the draft is in LA, so things are starting to pop off there as as people uh awake from their slumber. Um we'll run through updated rumors here before we go off the air. Tony asks uh cup game in, in terms of the tournaments until champion gets in. That's true. And I'm going to see if the OCO has their dates 2017 yet. Uh, the lower division shakeups will affect it a bit because typically the tournament was broken up where the amateur teams played down and then the NPSL and PDL teams came into the mix I think in the first round, then you had USL come in, then you had NASL come in, then you had MLS come in. Now with USL and NASL being considered the same level, that will affect it a bit as to you know what, how things happen and what order. Um, let's see if we have a rough timeline here. We do. So, well, not exactly. So first and second round, which typically has not included MLS, those will be announced on April 12th. Then the first round will take place on May 10th. Um, generally, the first few rounds happen quickly. So you would likely see Atlanta United come into the mix in the Open Cup in late May, early June. And we don't know at this point if they would be available to host games at Bobby Dodd or if there would be an alternative venue or if they would just elect to play on the road in those first games. Um, we don't have any way of knowing that just yet. Yeah. And, and this goes back to a question that people have asked us since we started this and people have asked us for a while now about Atlanta United. How much focus do you put on the U S open cup for an expansion club team? Do you go after that U S open cup trophy uh, a la Seattle? Uh, do you push for the playoffs? Do you reassess halfway through the season and see where we're standing? Uh, a lot of that thing, I think, is going to depend on the depth of this team once we get started. And we see not just what that starting 11 looks like, but how deep they look at each position, how comfortable they are, uh, you know, playing, you know, mixed rosters, you know, playing guys together, not together for U.S. Open Cup games, how much stock they put in it. Yeah, and you look at the schedule around that time. Um, like I said, the first round games are May 10th, which is listed as date tentative. Uh, you would expect the second round games would be the 17th, and MLS could come into the tournament the following week, the 24th of May, or the following weekend after that. You look at the schedule, Atlanta's at home on Saturday, May 20, and Sunday, May 28, and then they go to Vancouver June 3rd, and they go to Chicago June 10th. So some of it will depend on the schedule. Some of it will depend on you know, fitness at that point. It's, it's really just up in the air as to how important the Open Cup is on Atlanta United's uh, priority list right now. Yeah. Um, and we talked about uh, jumping back real quick, and I know we're going back in time. Um, you know, we talked about 
the uh, talk about Colorado trading up. Uh, literally, they're really in on Dunlady. If Dunlady goes one, what the hell? What kind of offer could they make to Minnesota to tell Minnes to to convince Minnesota not to take Dunlady one? Like, how how weird can that offer get? That that could be fun to see. It it could get pretty weird because Dunlady seems to be a guy who is getting some teams extremely excited about his potential, even even with the you know crash and burn element of what that pick could turn into. Dunlady is getting teams very excited and maybe a little crazy in terms of making moves. Uh, Ivis Galarsef just posted his final mock draft that has Abu Dunlady going number one to Minnesota and has Miles Robinson going two to Atlanta. And he's not factoring in trades. He's factoring where players would go. Ebobise going three to Chicago. Um, other you know, somewhat surprising things happening here. This is Ivis Galarsev's final mock draft. He has Chris Adoy Axum jumping all the way up to four. He has Ja'Cory Hayes at seven. He has Atlanta taking Jackson UL at number eight, which I would love that pick. And he's somebody we haven't talked about today. Jackson UL, if he's available at eight or if you trade down somewhere in between, say you trade down to Columbus, whatever, anywhere in that spot. If you can get him at eight or higher, not at two because he's not in that top three, Jackson UL would be a great pickup for Atlanta United. He is a creative player, but not exactly a number 10. He's, he has some similarities to Al Miron, except not as good defensively, not as much of a two-way player. A lot of people, and, and you're going to laugh, and you're going to know why I'm excited about it. Some people are comparing him to a Mr. Michael Bradley in terms of a box-to-box midfielder who can make things happen on the offensive end. Oh, man, this podcast is going to get tense. <laughs> if Jackson UL is available at eight, and oh, I take him in a heartbeat. Get him, yeah, as a generation genius player, uh, it's again, I'm standing up there as the seventh pick is being picked. Oh, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I have no problem with that at all. If Jackson UL is there at eight, I'm taking him. I do not disagree. Also, I'm going to hold him ransom and ask Minnesota what they want for him because they do love their hometown boy. And there's also that, too. So that, that is another element to keep in mind as a Minnesota native. Uh, Jackson UL could be valuable on the trade market after the draft. Um, some other surprising things in Galarsep's mock draft. Uh, Brandon Aubrey's at 10. Daniel Johnson is at 13. Um, Adana Jarid, the Canadian Generation Adidas forward, is at 15. Um, Shemit Shom is in the second round at 24. That's where I keep seeing people saying, oh, I'll, I'll jump into the second round to get Shom. Like, just why, why are we waiting? Yeah. Uh, Reagan Dunk is in the second round at 27. Sometimes and, a second round pick that works out. This goes for basketball and soccer, both these drafts, because they, they kind of – I've they're not identical, but they kind of work in that way because they're limited in rounds. Sometimes a second-round draft pick isn't good because somebody slept because the guy was a sleeper and no one noticed. Sometimes a second-round draft pick works out because everyone just let a guy slip because God knows why. And he was first-round talent, and everyone just let him slip. That might and be shown. And if you let him slip based off of a week-long combine of playing alongside players that you've never played with and playing for a coach you've never played for, I think that's crazy talk to me. Um, 
So I would be looking at some of these players who are potentially sliding as, as prime opportunities. A couple more questions on Twitter that have come my way. Uh, Ben on Twitter asked, if Atlanta trades for a keeper using our number two, how attractive of a trade piece is the allocation slot, assuming no Guzan then? Um, wouldn't necessarily mean they would trade out of that top spot. And if they decided to, it would be extremely valuable. Uh, I want to pull up the Chicago-Philadelphia trade for that landed the union Alejandro Bedoya last summer to kind of give an example of what that could be. Hold on, and I will find it. Um, what do you think? If they if they do get rid of – if they do pick up a goalkeeper, would you trade that number one allocation spot, or would you hold it for the right player coming up, coming back? I think it depends on what the offers are. I think you listen. I don't know that you trade, but you absolutely listen. You take offers, and you see what people are willing to give you. But as we've already seen, that allocation – could change really quickly with who wants to come and who doesn't want to come back. So you could find another big puzzle piece if you wait it out, or there could be nothing. But I think you'd be doing a disservice not to at least listen and hear what teams are willing to give up for them. Yeah. So here's the deal that was made last year. Chicago was in the number two, or Chicago was in the number one spot. Philadelphia was in the number two when this happened in August, and this allowed Alejandro Bedoya to go to the Union. Uh, Philadelphia traded general and targeted allocation money. We don't know how much, but presumably it did. They trade Philadelphia traded their first round pick in the 2017 super draft, the discovery priority on a player. So one of the players like Miguel Almiron, how Atlanta had to give 50,000 in allocation money to Seattle because he was on their discovery priority. They gave the rights to a player to Chicago. We don't know who that is. And, Chicago got the second spot in the allocation order. So this was a team moving up one spot and they gave up both kinds of allocation money, a first round pick and the second spot in the allocation. Yeah. Like I said, it all depends on who's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on, is there somebody else you're waiting on? Is it Tim Ream? Is it somebody else? Is it Jeff Cameron who has been mentioned as potentially coming back to the league? I think that's another year off, but do you sit and wait and see if maybe you can get Jeff Cameron in the summer? I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, that's an interesting curveball to been through at us on, on that allocation spot. But if someone's offered me Gam Tam at a first round pick, I'm listening. You have my attention. For sure. For sure. I think like, you have to. Oh yeah. And, and especially if that was to move up one pit, one spot, if someone who's kind of in the middle starts after offering game tam pick, maybe, you know, throwing a fruit basket or something. We're talking business. Yeah. And, and Tony asks uh, about potentially drafting a goalkeeper. There's really not one. There's not a, there's not a top flight. There's not a, uh, there's not like a, we, we saw a goalkeeper go top flight. Um, Andre Blake. Yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of is Andre Blake. Um, yeah, there's not at a first Blake. I thought Johan Blake, but yeah, Johan Blake's a sprinter. Um, <laughs> not Andre, him. Yeah, no. Um, we should try that. Um, there's not a Johan Blake in this draft, unfortunately. No, there, there's not. Um, I think, you know, you, you could see a goalkeeper go second round, probably not till next week in the third and fourth round. So, 
you know, does this whole thing with Guzan, does it affect, you know, how we would rate what Atlanta United did in building this team through all of the drafts? I still think it's too early to tell because we don't know what, we don't know how everything is going to play out. You know, Atlanta's sitting on the number one allocation spot. That could be a player. That could be stuff. That could be stuff and a player. We don't know how that's going to shake itself out yet. We talked expansion draft and what Atlanta United brought in that. We still have to wait and see what they do with the number eight pick they acquired in the expansion draft and what that turns into. If Ivis Galarcep's mock draft is correct, that Atlanta could get a generation Adidas player like a Jackson UL, who I think is a great fit for Tata Martino's system at eight. I would rather have Jackson UL as a generation Adidas player off your books instead of Donnie Toya at left back when you were going to get Greg Garza. It's all interconnected. That's the biggest thing is you can't rate one draft over the other. What we have to do is honestly, in, in the summer, sit down and go back through the decisions Atlanta United made in these drafts and in the priority draft and all of it to decide. And we do have to compare it somewhat to Minnesota and see what, what the alternative could have been. I think they've done fine. I think the Guzan stuff is probably the biggest potential slip up that is still not a definite. Um, let's remember that, you know, this is a report. Like, like you said many times, Jarrett, if Middlesbrough goes out and grabs a goalkeeper, then things might happen differently very quickly. And Brad Guzan could be available, but this is, you know, maybe the biggest potential slip up in building this team. Yeah. They, and, I guess my concern is that they box themselves into a corner with the Gazan thing and not intentionally. Um, but like we said, everything could change. Like I said earlier, teams play chicken during transfer season. It's silly season for a reason. And it could change. It could change tomorrow. It could change by three o'clock today. So we'll see. Yeah. You um, would think that if, I, I think what, what to look for today, if, if I can give you a, a preview in the last, uh, couple minutes we have if Atlanta makes a move for a goalkeeper today then you know the Brad Kuzan thing is either dead or at least they didn't want to wait till the summer so that's one if they don't then it would be safe to assume one of two things either they're very comfortable in waiting till the summer and having Alec Khan and Alex Tambakis be your two goalkeepers in Atlanta to start the season or there's still hope of Brad Guzan being here before opening day. Um, those are the big things to look at. I think what Minnesota does at number one will affect everything else. Uh, if they go Dunlotti, that changes the game a bit um, because a lot of teams are wanting to trade up to two to get Dunlotti. There's a few teams wanting to trade up to two to get Robinson, but it sounds like teams are more excited about grabbing Dunlotti. So if he goes number one, that will affect trade partners and who could be available and the volatility of some of these players moving up and down the draft boards, if Atlanta can, can snag, regardless of what they do with the number two, if they can snag a generation Adidas player at eight, that's a big win. That's a huge yeah. win for this club with the salary cap. Of course, they could just get weird and, dra- and grab Dunlady or even be say at two and just hold him ransom for somebody who wants him. And that happens too. Uh, you saw last year the Jack Harrison deal. He was drafted and then traded um, in the first round to New York City. Everything 
is possible at this point. So stay tuned. Uh, we've got about three and a half hours till things get underway. Uh, follow us. I'll be on Twitter all day at Longshoe. Follow the show at Peachtree underscore post. Uh, follow Jarrett at Jarrett underscore Smith. Um, I'm, he won't be with me today in the afternoon live show, but I'm sure he'll be chiming in via Twitter. Oh, oh I will. <laughs> he'll he'll definitely be, be looking away from his job uh, of getting everybody home on traffic <laughs> and, and talking about the draft with us. Yes, absolutely. So uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Um, sorry about the technical issues that have, have plagued us a bit today. But uh, I think we got through it. Uh, thanks to everybody who chimed in with great questions as we went on. Uh, Tony, Kyle, uh, Ben, if I'm forgetting anybody, uh, Joseph. Um, thanks to you guys for always listening to us. And I will talk to you guys in a few hours. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, See you later. See you. Mucha plata. Mucha plata.